0: VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a 7-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at leno.com slash
1: ifreaks. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 219 of the ifreaks show. Today on our panel we have Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. Erica Sedun.
2: I'm from Denver.
1: I'm James Uber from Minneapolis, and today we have a guest on the show. Please welcome Daniel Gelcut. Hi, everybody. Coming
3: in to you from Boston. So how are things in Boston? Oh, it's finally starting to get cold. Uh, I guess it's finally starting to get as cold as one might expect it to be in early November. So it's been kind of uh, pretty mild, and right now looking out my window, it's clear, but it's getting colder. It's about in the 40s and I guess by the end of the week we're going to be freezing so
1: got me just before the freeze. That happens. So if anyone follows developers in the iOS Mac sphere you definitely show up but for those who don't know who you are can you give us the intro for yourself?
3: Sure yeah Um, I currently am an indie developer working mainly on Mac software and I've been doing that now for about that exclusively for about 10 years and before that, um, I was in a sort of transitional period where I was doing consulting work um, all on Mac stuff. And before that, you know, way back in my um, earliest part of my professional adult life was spent at Apple from about 1995 to 2002. I worked on uh, worked on Mac before it was Mac OS X, and then I worked on the very earliest days of Mac OS X. So I sort of had a career that has gone from working on system software type stuff at Apple to um leaving Apple. And it's kind of funny, I learned how to make apps only after I really only after I left Apple. So um just been kind of plugging away at it now for the past 10 years and keep my eye on iOS, uh, but like many Mac developers who have an existing business, we sort of like are trepidatious about the financial, you know, challenges of being indie and you know selling your own stuff being indie making a living on ios so kind of focus on mac still but uh, still interested of course as a user and ultimately one day i hope as a developer for ios as well
2: and you have a keynote product and can you tell us a little bit about that
3: oh sure so the the main app that i make my living off of is called mars edit and it is a Mac app for writing content for the web. And uh, I usually compare it to uh, – I, I compare it, and it's appropriate because the original developer of this app also compared it to Apple's own Mail app. Um, so think Mail, but for writing blog posts. And the basic way it works is like that. You Launch it, write some posts. You say send, and instead of delivering to you know somebody you're writing a mail message to, it publishes right up to your WordPress, your Tumblr, blogger, etc.
4: That sounds very simple, but I'm sure it's actually a very complex <laughs> app because you have to deal with the different blogging systems. Am I right?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things anybody who is a developer knows that even the most even something that's actually simple, relatively speaking, is becomes far more complex you know when you consider all the engineering aspects of it and mars edit uh, actually even isn't that simple it's pretty complex pretty pretty robust app has a lot of features um it's been around now for about 15 years and i've been developing it for about 10 of those years um so it's pretty big I, i sometimes uh i sometimes wonder if i have chosen to work on an app that isn't really suited to one person working on it um and this that that pans out in some ways like longer than expected times between releases etc but yeah it's a it's a really interesting app to work on though as an individual because um you know there's so many aspects to it that if i get sort of it, it, you can't really get bored of the app per se because um there's just some other there's some other other angle to work on it that is a completely different technology or different you know takes advantage of a different set of APIs or you know involves a different style of programming so it's a pretty good kind of playground for me when I'm in a good mood and then when I'm in a bad mood it's you know these these um, not even golden handcuffs, they're more like bronze handcuffs that, <laughs> that keep me plugging away at it.
1: That's something I've learned from people that work on their own apps. It sounds great, but you know, a few years into it, you're working on the same app day in, day out, where a lot of developers are hopping jobs every year, two years, three years. Yeah. How, yeah. how, do you, how does that work? Well,
3: um, it's funny you say that because... Uh, it's true, but then I get this message from people who are hopping jobs all the time these days. Especially working on iOS, I keep getting this message that like everybody's basically just writing the same table view code again and um, again. And I know that's not true That's simplifying it. But there's there's something to um, the kinds of apps I think that people want built for iOS. That you ask if you if you grab a random iOS uh, consultant. You probably find out they've written the same app a few times for different, um, clients. And so I think that, um, there's an, there's an aspect to that where people who jump around maybe still sometimes don't get the variety of, of work experience that I have. Um, just because there's so many different aspects to, you know, I have to deal with just different user interface challenges, Um, You know, some things that are based on network, some things that are based on persistence and some of these things. I I know, of course, um, you know, iOS developers have to do that kind of stuff, too. But uh, I think there's not quite as much variety as there might have been, for example, jumping around jobs on on the Mac.
1: That makes sense. I do consulting and you write a lot of the same code. Yeah, a lot of the same table views, search, that type of stuff. There's a lot of that. So. Getting deep into a mature app, you get a lot of different things that you can dig your teeth into that may be new. So that's good to hear. Yeah.
2: And there's some news about
3: Mars it, right? Oh, there is? Well, there's some pending news. And it's not it's not a big secret because um, it was a big secret, sort of. Um, people who have been listening to my own podcast, uh, I do a podcast with another indie developer, Manton um, Reese, and it's called Core Intuition. Um, we have been talking about, we often talk about our like challenges, getting new releases out. And so people who have been tuning into that show have probably known for a couple of years that I've been working on this, um, update to Mars edit, Mars edit four. And it's just been one of those things where, um, every time you think you are, you know, every time you think you see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's like, no, that's just like a. It's just like a lamp installed in the tunnel. There's still another that's, two miles that's to go. Better there. than a train. It's better than a train, right? Um, and so, anyway, long story short, I got to uh, about June of this year, and I was thinking, man, this is this is pretty close to done. I think I should ship this. And um, there were just a few little things, quote unquote, I needed to 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 finish. And I got so anxious about waiting and sitting on it that I and I realized my summer was sort of filling up with different things to do with the family and trips I was taking. So I just decided in June to make a public beta of Mars Edit 4, thinking that I was going to coast through the summer and then September 1st would come along and I'd just like wrap a bow on it, ship it, and it would be done. And, of course, now here we are recording in November Um But I'm pretty sure, knock on wood, um, it's going to be out within a few weeks. So I'm going to try to push through, finish that job. And it's just one of those things where you think you get to the end and then there's something else. And, of course, um, you know, one aspect of that is you can always think of something else. But um, some of it really is stuff I just had had to finish up before shipping.
2: So what have you added to the app? What's new?
3: Oh boy, this one, this one always catches me off guard because I I need to, I haven't, I haven't done the part of the, um, of the work that is putting together all the marketing. Um, so I kind of have to kind of have to dig around in my head. The main things that are new are, um, coming up to speed with the kind of like more, as Guy, I think said earlier, um, there's like complexity and keeping up with all the different blogging systems. Um, and that's definitely been a challenge so, so much that over the years there have been advances, for example, in WordPress, the, in what they offer with their API, um, and also just features that WordPress didn't have before. So, um, I've been kind of stuck on an old version of their API and with an old set of features. And there's a bunch of them that people have just been asking for, um, forever, like, uh, you know how to set like a um, how to set like a um, post kind. They have something kind of like Tumblr now, where you can say this is a photo, this is a video, um, and then the theme can handle it separately. So being able to set that, being able to set the author on a post, um they actually updated their API to be a lot more um, performance friendly. So a big limitation in the past with Mars edit. Was you could realistically only download a subset of all your posts. So, you know, typical use case for Mars Edit, you, you open it up, you connect it to your blog, and it downloads, like like by default, Mars Edit 3 just downloads the late, latest 30 posts to your blog. And that's usually fine for like, uh, you know, just making edits to your recent stuff and writing new posts. But inevitably, people want to be able to say, like, search through their whole blog history and, open up and make fixes and posts that are years old if they if they need to um and one of the changes wordpress has made over the years is to make their api more uh suitable for that kind of like like previously the api only let you ask for a fixed number of of posts and long story short if you ask for too many posts um it would crash most web servers, so um, they changed their API so you could do paging in your in your um, API requests. And so that's one thing Mars at four will take advantage of. So now you can download all your posts, and um, that's kind of cool. Uh, I added some cool stuff people have been asking for, like um, typewriter mode. Are you all familiar with that? Like when you're typing in an editor and it scrolls to the middle instead of um, Instead of keeping you either at the top while you're just starting a post, or all the way at the bottom while you're while you're finishing it up, it keeps it scrolled to the middle if you're into that. Uh, a few other things like that, lots of little things over the years that um, I, because what happened was I got the, I got I got confused a few years ago and thought I was almost going to ship back then. So then I fell into this hole of having all these features that I had added and thinking well I'm gonna ship this so there's no need for me to go back and add that to Mars at three and then fast forward a couple of years and I've been sitting on all these things and so that was one of the one of the things that felt so good in June about releasing the beta was there were a lot of different little things that people depending on what they were waiting for they could say ah at last I can finally do X y or Z uh, so it's really just kind of like upping the state of the art. Um, bringing it to a level that i think is more usable with modern current state of the state-of-the-art blogging systems
2: so how do you balance <clears throat> the fundamental features the features for example like you're pulling from wordpress and other providers against the nice stuff the things that you're adding just to make a better user experience because you you have to pick and choose don't you
3: yeah, I do. I do. I mean, every, every company would have to, and I have to possibly more than, um, a larger company because like I said, it's just me. And, um, so there's a limited amount of time. Uh, you know, I have a limited amount of time. Some of that gets used up doing customer support. Some of it gets you know used up doing my accounting. Some of it gets used up doing all these other non-programmer things. And then the programmer stuff obviously is limited and I, you're right I have to do some of those things that are sort of considered essential um and then something and then basically any time I have left I have to yes pick and choose what I think would be a cool cherry on top so to speak um and it's been frustrating because the the um the baseline functionality Uh, like i said these apis changing um it's been moving so fast over the years and i've been struggling so hard to keep up that it is kind of hard for me to find room to um to add the the extra nice stuff on top but i'm hoping now and i've I've had the chance to do some of that and i'm hoping now after 4.0 comes out i'll have a little breather to do some more of that um and i think one way to look at it uh erica is the way i try to think about it anyways there's there are some essentials you have to be able to do you have to be able to get your posts you have to be able to edit them you have to be able to publish them um and then i try to think what can i do on a mac that is either really hard for people to do in a browser or impossible to do in a browser um and that kind of sets the priority for me for things that um Things that i can i can add value there um so one example is it's like really easy relatively speaking these days for a native mac app to hook into um like your iPhoto your, your photos library and i'm pretty sure that's still either really hard or impossible to do from a web browser um and so that's the kind of thing where i, I try to think like okay Why would somebody download this app and use it instead of um, just going to the website? And that sort of sets the tone for me about things, things I can try to do.
2: I think there's a natural tendency when dealing with customers to try to make them happy, to try to do things that they've asked for and so forth. Mm -hmm. But there's also the reality of limited time and limited resources. So how do you deal with a really great idea that's customer sourced that you simply don't have the capacity to put into the current version?
3: Yeah, you just have to say that's a great idea and I'm putting it on my list and I hope to get to it someday. And, you know, sometimes people are um, more polite or less polite about, the length of time that passes, and they don't see the the feature, because we all know from a customer point of view that when you have a great idea for an app, you know your mental model of it is this is the best idea for this app. This is the single single greatest improvement they could make would be to to change this one thing. And so your mental model of it, if you're like me anyway, and if you're like some of my customers, your mental model is, well, this, this must be at the top of their list now. And then a year passes and you think, well, what, what's going on? Like, did they just take a, a year vacation because this was supposed to be at the top of their list? Um, and you know, the fact is it's, there's a couple like, kind of like classic, um, sayings that come to mind. And there's like, I don't have them perfect, perfectly here, but you probably all remember and recognize them. One of them is the old, like kind of, um, thing about Microsoft Word I think it was Microsoft Word um having what was it like uh everybody uses 20 only 20% of the features but the problem is that everybody uses a different 20% of the features and that's the same kind of phenomenon where you're you're like looking at an app and you think what's the big deal this is perfect except it doesn't do this thing and somebody else has the same perspective, and except the, the, the one thing that's missing is something else. So, so do uh, you
2: model your users? Do you do testing to see what they're using, what percent of time they spend in different areas?
3: No, I'm not very sophisticated about that. The, the extent so far um, it, that I've done that kind of uh, analysis is just to um when my software updater checks in with my server it it um it reports what the systems are that that they're configured against so i know what the most popular blogging systems with my users are and that helps because if somebody comes in well especially nowadays if somebody comes in and says this is perfect but um you know it doesn't work great with movable type let's say Movable type, for those who don't know, is a blogging system that almost nobody uses anymore. Um, The funny thing is, some of the most influential bloggers in the world still use it because they've been, you know, just sticking with what worked from 10 or 15 years ago. But I can look at that and say, okay, um, is adding new support for movable type great for my user base as a whole? Not really. Um, But, like, for example, WordPress is far and away the most popular blogging system, at least as far as I can tell. And I think that's backed up by... Um, I think that there's some some statistic like beyond even blogging, I think WordPress is something like 30% of the web or something huge like that. Um, so I can look at WordPress and say, oh my gosh, that's a, that is a clear place for me to focus. And then um, the, the next level in, it's mostly just based on feedback from users. Like if I get a bunch of emails saying I want to be able to, um, you know, like for, here's a good example. Like I have gotten a bunch of emails over the years saying <clears throat> I want to be able to change authors. I want to be able to, um, you know, uh, other things I mentioned like the post kind settings. Um, but nobody relatively speaking has reported, um, you know, occasionally I'll get a, a request to be able to manage comments on a blog so if I was like working completely uh, without user feedback, I might think being able to manage comments on a blog was a really important feature, and it's a feature that some other apps support. But as far as I can tell, that wouldn't actually satisfy a bunch of people. The so, thing uh, is,
2: though, with comments, yeah, it goes back to exactly mm-hmm. what you said a few minutes ago, which is it's really important if you're working with a blog. But it's not something that's very hard to do in a browser.
3: I agree with you. And I think some people just get the idea that um, some people get the idea. I think it's kind of good. It speaks well for um, the viability of an app like MarsEdit that they get this mental model that everything should be done in the app and nothing should be done on the web. Um, But I think you're right that if you focus on the types of tasks that you want to do, in the app versus the types of tasks you don't mind doing on the web um, that that helps to distinguish what are the real what really are the key features because you know you could also envision an app like MarsEdit having a complete um, a complete like replica of the administrative panel you know setting things like what is the permalink slug for a blog and that kind of stuff you just kind of Typically, you just do once for a blog and leave it. So it's not really as, as critical in an app like MarsEdit, where it's more about facilitating like a day-in, day-out workflow.
1: Hey, just throw it in a web view and you're done.
3: That's right. Well, there you go. It has been tried.
2: I want to ask specifically, though, about, and I know this is sort of switching gears, but about the Apple Mac Store ecosystem.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: living outside that and kind of exploring this, the tension between being pure indie and buying into the Mac App Store. What can you say about that?
3: Well, the Mac App Store has been both a blessing and a, a, a serious frustration over, I think it's been six plus years now. I can't remember if it came out in 2010 or 2011. It's 6 or 7 years since the Mac App Store debuted. And um when it first came out, it was like, "Oh, yes, this is awesome. Apple's going to be putting a store right in front of users' faces." Um you know, before the Mac App Store for folks who have used a Mac long enough, you remember Apple had this um This area of the Apple website called the like Mac OS X downloads um, section, and it was kind of like the Mac App Store in that Apple would feature apps, and they would you know having an official link in that was a kind of a resource for people to find your app, and it was a big deal. Just like it's a big deal to get featured in the app stores today, back then it was like oh I'm on the front page of Apple's downloads page. So at the time, it just sort of felt like, um, oh, this is a step up. Apple's bringing us; they're finally going to like use their massive power to put us in front of users who otherwise either don't buy software or don't know don't know about software. So I got on board, and I was like, I was there on day one of the Mac App Store, um, and I put all of my apps in. I was really lucky. Um, it was, you know, so new. I guess, relatively speaking, there weren't as many Mac developers as iOS developers then, and there still aren't. Um, so I was really lucky. I got two of my apps featured in the Mac App Store um, in the first in the first couple weeks of the store. And over the short period of time, I came to realize that, like, at least in those early years. Um, it appeared that the Mac App Store had sort of helped me to double my sales. So it wasn't there was fear at first, like, oh, we're gonna go into this system where, you know folks who don't know, Apple takes thirty percent of of the sale. And so there was some fear at first, like, oh, all of our users are just gonna go into the App Store and we'll make thirty percent less than we used to. Um, but the um the truth, at least at the beginning for me, was it was like a great gift. It was like this doubling of sales. And I was still selling the same amount to my direct users outside the Mac App Store. And I had all these new sales going on in the App Store. So I had nothing to complain about. And um, part part of having nothing to complain about was also having this sense, like, this is just the beginning. Like, think back and think about how, like, in, in retrospect, how, like, when the iPhone came out, and we were so excited and we can look back in retrospect now and think, Oh, but that was just the beginning. Cause remember like iPhone two made, you know, it was faster, it had a better camera and then the iPhone three iPhone four and you keep going and the iOS kept evolving. And I think we sort of had a lot of us had this vision for the Mac app store being like this vital new thing that was going to change rapidly. Like every year there would be an up, update to it. And, <laughs> Not only did it sort of not change rapidly, but it backtracked. Um, a year into the Mac App Store, I think it was, Apple came out with um, app sandboxing, which um, I think you all know is uh, just a system that the Mac uses to limit the capabilities of of an app. Um, and it's good for user security, um, but it's bad at the edges where apps either can't provide the functionality users want or it becomes like exceedingly difficult to do so. So what happened with the Mac App Store, Apple not only introduced sandboxing, but then they said, by the way, we're not going to allow non-sandboxed apps on the App Store. And um, so that was kind of a downer. And combined with not really seeing anything new, Uh, it was just kind of like suddenly these apps that were already on the app store had to either become sandboxed or there was a kind of caveat. They said, if you don't, if you choose not to update it meaningfully, you can just leave it there or you had to leave the app store. And, uh, so that was a big downer. And then over the years, anybody who thought like, well, we're going to see a lot of changes every year saw, no, there weren't changes. Um, new things would come for the iOS app store, like, uh, you know, Over the years, they'd add things like the ability to send gifts or, um, you know, ability to include, um, to use test flight or something, or the ability to put a a video on your app store screen. And all of these things would typically come with no counterpart for the Mac and we get it. Like we know we're not Apple's major focus, but, um, in the end it ended up being kind of a situation where I think a lot of us feel like it's just a missed opportunity because they debuted the Mac App Store filling I think this 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 hole that people perceived was there and I think they did it well and then they just didn't they didn't didn't move it forward from there. So anyway that's that whole downer story leads to the fact that I'm still in the App Store. I'm still like vaguely optimistic that Apple will maybe I'll make another comparison maybe the app store is sort of like the mac mini like maybe it'll never get updated but maybe they'll surprise us and it'll be like a great update one day um so apple has these things they have these things like like mac os and ios and the iphone they have these things that they consistently predictably update and by most people's standards they're getting better and better every year and then they have these other things that some people love and some people are really invested in and wish would get better but there's just no way to gauge whether Apple actually cares about it and whether they're actually going to update it.
4: Yeah, every WWDC I wait for something to happen to the Mac App Store and I think it's been like three years and nothing basically and the, the sandboxing model iOS was born with it so apps like they naturally fit that model, but on the Mac it was kind of bolted on afterwards and it doesn't work as well as it does on iOS. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it, it, it works so poorly for some types of apps. Like I said, that they just had to leave the app store. Uh, Text expander from smile is a good example. They, they they need to, you know, unfortunately to provide the service that they provide to users who welcome it and love it is they have to monitor every keystroke that the user types. And I can see why Apple wouldn't want that to be something that apps do surreptitiously. But it's an example where um, the way that they have created entitlements uh, for the sandboxing system it just leaves out classes of application like that. So I for a long time I've thought that the App Store, the Mac App Store and sandboxing would be a good and welcome te- technology if it put um those types of capabilities on the table and let users just be aware of it. Like if I go to the App Store and I say I want to buy this app that monitors my keystrokes and um and does a, a utility for me, then at least that's out there, and that this the the um, service that sandboxing can provide if Apple chooses to do it this way is that they they can use the technology to make the functionality of apps transparent to users. so so that sandboxing doesn't become something that means you're not allowed to have um, text, you know monitoring apps, but it means that if an app is doing that, then the user can know about it. And that's where I'd like to see sandboxing go, but it seems like Apple's sort of at a standstill now with, with a sandboxing support.
2: One of the things about the Mac App Store, which really has differentiated from the iOS App Store, is that you didn't see the race to the bottom pricing. You could put an app in there and put a realistic price on it.
3: yeah. It's interesting. I think it. it what it, I wouldn't quite put it that way. I think you're right, but I think um, one one nuance of that is that there has been simultaneously a race to the bottom type of market for Mac software, and then in parallel, this um, this premium pricing market has persisted. So whereas on iOS, I think people kind of strongly feel like for most apps, classes there kind of isn't a premium pricing segment. Uh, on the Mac, if you go searching in the Mac App Store you can find um, they do pretty well like in a lot of categories these two, three, four, five dollar apps that are providing some maybe maybe relatively simple service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some more complex apps that surprisingly to me are as little as ten dollars. Um, and my app, Marsz is currently in the app store at forty dollars um and so you're right that's an example of a price point that would be much harder to i think justify on iOS um but that's one of the things i often say to people when they ask me like why aren't you on iOS and i tell them i first thing i ask if they're an iOS developer i ask are you on iOS do you sell your own app on the uh, iOS app store and if they say yes i ask them how much do they charge and they say $2 or <laughs> something and i say well the reason i'm not on the iOS app store is um you have to sell 20 apps before you make the same money i make selling one app and of course if you know of course if they sell 20 times as much as i do um that's fine so you know to some extent but the reality is i don't think most ios developers do end up you know selling 20 times as much as their desktop counterparts so it's a real challenge right now and i think it's becoming really interesting with the ipad pro because the ipad pro Sort of bridges that those two worlds. Like people expect desktop level functionality from the iPad Pro, but users I think are still trying to deal with whether that means paying desktop level pricing for the apps.
1: Well, for Pro apps, I've seen some apps be able to sell (laughs) Mac apps and iOS apps alongside each other. AstroPad. We've had Matt Rongi on the show before. They do Mm -hmm. they do both and they sell them separately. So for the right for the right crowd, they'll, they'll pay for it. You know, when WordPress going to a browser and use WordPress is free, are they going to do it? Right. I can't, I can't say coding or typing a blog, blogging on a WordPress browser from an iPad is a pain as my wife can attest because she's tried it. So (laughs) there, there is a problem there.
3: Yeah. I have lots of people begging me to make the WordPress for iOS and who knows maybe it's one of those things where if i finally get around to doing it i might be able to get away with a premium price for it um there's also a you know i'll be the first to admit that there is a um there is a disparity that's harder for new developers to overcome which is whatever i decide to do if i ever ship something for ios i'll come at that um i'll come at that challenge with the advantages of a you know existing user base and some name recognition and some you know um, some you know viral marketing help, and so I think it's easier for someone like me to come in and imagine, say, selling a20 dollar version of Mars Edit than it is for somebody, however good they are and however great their app is, to just step into the store and say, "I have a new app, and it's twenty dollars." Um, and that's something where I think Apple could help. Uh, I think Apple, that's one of the things people have been frustrated with the iOS app store from the beginning. Like Erica said, this, this race to the bottom, it seems like there are some obvious things that Apple could do to help. Um, and to be fair, I think some of the things they've introduced, like subscription pricing do, you know, sort of offer a way of, of helping that. But, um, you know, there are other things that they could do, like they're offering Bonafide fide trials or, you know, having a, um, I think on I I don't pay super close attention to other platforms, but I think on other platforms, um, some of the app stores, you can, as a developer, you can say, you know, there, there's a, I don't know, seven day return policy or something. Things like this would make, um, the risk of paying a premium price less for, for people who might be willing to pay it if they know they're going to get value from it. That
1: makes sense. So I had a question. So you're, you're definitely in the Mac area. How do you see that market going forward? Apple doesn't give a lot of love to the app store. Is, is the people using Macs for development work or for blogging? Is that, um, is that growing? Is that tricking? How is, it, how is uh,
3: it? Yeah, I mean, I don't do serious analysis of it, but it's absolutely incredible how many people have Macs now. It's more than ever in the history of the world. So, uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's only in contrast to iOS that you can, um, that you can make like a negative case for the Mac as a market. And, you know, people were making a lot of money off of Mac software 15 years ago when it was comparatively tiny. And I think it's just, it's, it, it, obviously to some extent it's a question of what percentage of the mac market is in the market for paying for software that's one question um but i think you know it's not a coincidence that Apple's still selling all these macs like people are using them for huge variety of, of reasons um you know not everybody who buys a mac by far is buying it to just do some specialized thing like uh video production or audio production. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's sort of like culturally, I think that the iPhones and the iPads took so much attention because they're so novel and they're so new and they are exciting. But uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed still to find, um, to find many people who use – Tablets and phones exclusively and don't also use a computer for something and more and more the people who do use a computer for something Are choosing to use a Mac?
4: so we talked about the financial and market aspects I wanted to get a little technical and I was reading the Wikipedia article on Mars edit and according to the article it exists since 2005, is that correct?
3: That is that's that is correct, and I think it, that's actually, um, well, I should say, I, I think that's not correct, because I think it's actually a couple of years earlier than that that Brent actually released the first version. I might be wrong, but I think it might be a little bit older than that. So it's quite old. So yeah,
4: it's old, and I, I wanted to ask you, how much of that original code is in there uh how did you like rewrite any part of the app uh, if if you had to guess uh, how much of the original code is still in there uh, can can you yeah. give us a, an estimation
3: i i haven't done a measurement of it but i did this funny thing when i took over the project um i uh i didn't like it wasn't my style. Brent's style it's fine, but his code style is different from mine. And it was immediately obvious to me when um, it was his style or when it was my style. So I, I, for a couple of reasons, I decided to do this this thing where, uh, first of all, I never change, as a rule, I never change anything in the app unless there's a, a payoff for doing it. So if there is some code in there, and there is, that Brent wrote in, say, 2005 and it's working and it's doing its job, then I don't rewrite it. Um, And so, but I made this kind of like rule where I also wouldn't go in and like arbitrarily change, um, I wouldn't change his formatting unless I had actually kind of rewritten something. So it's a little bit funny now because there's some source files where I've rewritten part and it's in my style. And then there's some left there that's in Brent's style, but it's kind of nice for me because I can see at a glance whether whether my reasoning was, <laughs> you know, whether, whether, cause some, you know, you know how it is programmers all have just different takes on how to approach problems. And sometimes if I'm looking at something and I don't understand why it was done a certain way, it helps me to know whether it was something I had come up with or not. And so I have a bunch of code that I can still see it's Brent's because it's got his style. Um, there's actually also one other developer, Gus Mueller of uh, Acorn, fame fine meat fame uh he briefly worked on the app sort of between brent and I um so uh anyway long story short i did, i i don't know how much is still there it, i would say because of all the code that i've added over the years it's a much bigger app now uh, it's kind of funny now going back and looking at the version 1 when i took it over it was a very simple app and that was i mean that was good but um I've added a ton of features to the app since then, so I would guess maybe now it's like maybe 10% of the original code and uh, 90% either new code or code that I have substantially rewritten since then.
1: So have you resisted the urge to jump to Swift?
3: (laughs) I did for a long time. Uh, Erica knows, I think that I have done, have, have been dabbling in Swift cause we are, we are, are in a chat room sometimes where we chat about Swifty things. Um, here's the funny thing. I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I guess it's been what, four years now since Swift came out, something like that. It's amazing to, to think how the time has flown. Um,
2: it's four years since the concept of SWIFT has been out. Okay, yeah. But you can't really compare this year's SWIFT with last year's SWIFT or the year before. They're sort of like different SWIFTs.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you, and so much so that I kind of have that that smug um, sense of having... (laughs) (laughs) The smug sense of having made the right choice to mostly not dive in to SWIFT (laughs) until... um, Swift 4.
2: Pull so, me aside at another time, and I will tell you my story of how I thought by switching from writing about iOS to Swift, my life would be easier and change oh, yes. less.
3: <laughs> you have such a uh, optimistic view of it. <laughs> um, so the funny thing is, I've been intrigued by Swift since the debut, but um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I have been under the illusion that I was five minutes away from shipping Mars at four for about four years anyway. So since Apple announced Swift, it's been something where it's like that looks really cool. I cannot afford to get distracted by that. Um, I need to be able to just like fix and make my uh, make my app. We're gonna stick with Objective C. That's what most of Mars edit was in and is in. Um. And then, of course, occasionally I'm I'm like everybody else. I get distracted. I get lured by interesting new things. And I would take a break and i play around with Swift a little bit. Um, But I never did too much. And at some point I crossed that line that I think everybody coming from Objective-C to Swift eventually crosses. Uh, Some people it's in five minutes. Some people it's longer. But that line where you decide you'd really rather only use Swift and so I'm in that place now. Um, and I've been I've been enjoying when I do need to add an all-new class, say, to to um to Mars Edit, uh, like I I had to add a new licensing scheme for Mars Edit 4. So I wrote that all in Swift and it was great. And I get an excuse to do that and I hop on it now. Um, but I have had to sort of like keep some discipline about not going in and like willy-nilly re rejiggering things to, to use Swift more effectively. So I'm kind of like the most passionate non user of Swift. Um, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the, one of the people who maybe likes Swift the most and uses it the least still. Uh, but I'm looking forward to being able to use it a lot more.
2: To be fair, I have precisely one small application that I ship in Swift Yes, everything but, else is objective C.
3: But all of the uh, books count oh, yeah. as as objective. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's uh. Well, what's keeping you on Objective C in the cases where you're still writing it?
2: It works, and yes, it will it keep working.
3: Yep, that is, and well, and that's where my smugness comes in because. I actually think, and you tell me what you think, Erica. I think as of Swift four, there's going to be a lot of keep working going forward. Um, Maybe I'm naive, but I can. I'm fairly confident that at least compared to transitions from one to two, two to three, three to four, even that it's going to be a lot more smooth sailing going forward. And I have witnessed, as you have, as many of us have, I have witnessed. the the cries of early adopters who have, you know, thousands of lines of Swift code, maybe hundreds of thousands of lines of Swift code in some cases, and then they have to go in and do this like massive rewriting to adapt to a new version. And I just don't feel like um, the advantages that they've had from using Swift for these past few years compared to me using Objective-C, I don't feel like that has offset the amount of suffering that they've had to to withstand in some cases anyway so i'm feeling pretty good about it and i'm excited about swift i'm not know there are still some people who are like you know they're convinced that it's never going to be there's probably still some people who are convinced swift is a fad and we're going to all go back to objective c i don't know what i don't know what they're taking but that is there are some people out there like that and i'm definitely not not in their boat so excited to see where swift
4: goes The main argument that people use to, like, say that Swift is going to die and obviously is going to come back is that, oh, Apple is not using Swift, but it turns out it's not true. They are using Swift, like, even more now with iOS 11, Uh, the Mm -hmm. App Store, Music, News, the calculator, all of those apps are pretty much 100% Swift, so... Yeah, they that bowl that, that has shipped. Yeah.
2: But we're running low on time. So we try to end every show with picks. So, right. Guy, do you have a pick?
4: Yes. Uh, so hopefully this week no one's going to have the, the same one as, as me. Um, I'm going to be. Pick- <laughs> Go first. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to pick uh, an app that you probably already know. It's called Workflow. And uh, I, I, I know it for a while, but I only used it for real. The first time this week, I made a little thing that downloads screenshots from the App Store and frames them in an iPhone X frame. So that's cool, like it, you just search for an app and you select the app and it does everything else for you. And I was shocked at how simple it is to implement, uh, especially f- for like someone who already knows something about programming, you can like parse JSON using it and do all sorts of cool stuff. So yeah, workflow is my pick this week.
2: And we'll get that in the program notes, a link to that, right? Yeah. All right. Um, Jane, do you have a pick?
1: You can pass my pick. Okay. Everything is is terrible this
2: week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my pick, I actually have two picks. And coming out very soon, and they should be out by the time this goes live, are two books that I have been so looking forward to. One is by the author of The Martian, his follow-up book called Artemis. And it's all about some sort of heist on the moon, which I'm looking forward to. And the other one is Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer, the third of the Stormlight Chronicles. And I am just really excited. The Stormlight Archive is just an amazing, amazing set of books and if you haven't started them i highly recommend them daniel
3: okay well i read that um you welcome software picks and non-software picks so i'm going to do one of each real quickly first one is for your vegetarian audience but also for your meat eating audience who is intrigued by weird synthetic foods it's called the impossible burger and um it's at ImpossibleFoods.com. It's this uh kind of like most ambitious yet fake hamburger meat burger. And it's funny because I went out here in Boston to get it. Yeah, they they have it at several restaurants around the they have it at several restaurants around the country in the US. I don't know, I don't think they've branched out internationally yet, but um went with two friends to go get it. It turned out that one friend knew we were going to have a vegetarian burger and the other friend did not. And we were talking about it at lunch, like well, this is, you know, this is a, this is really pretty good. This is, you know, I'm the vegetarian. They were both meat eaters. And one of them was like, yeah, it's pretty amazing for a vegetarian. This was like halfway into the burger. It's pretty amazing for a vegetarian burger. And then the the third person said, wait, what? This is vegetarian. (laughs) So it had, it had, uh, substantially fooled, effectively fooled one diehard meat eating, Burger lover. And I think people should check it out and try it out just because it's so novel. It's interesting to see from a technological point of view, too, what um people are able to do with food. And it's made out of protein derived from um uh, peas. So it's kind of a funny thing. They take peas and make protein and turn it into fake meat. That's my um that's my burger pick of the week. And I have a software pick for the Mac, which I do is... believe
2: that is the first burger pick of <laughs> iFreaks.
3: Well, see now, I've set a new. I set a new uh, tradition here. Um, and uh, how many of you used, have used, or were actively using this great app for the Mac called Skitch? That's familiar to you for make making screenshots. It ended up. Uh, so it's ancient app. Ended up getting acquired by Evernote. And then when ten thirteen came out, it just kind of bit bit the bucket. It didn't work well at all. So I put out a Twitter like request for. What can I use that's like Sketch? And um, the thing I'd like to recommend—it's not perfect, but it's in some ways I think even better than Sketch. It's called Annotate, and um, I'll put a link to it uh, in the notes. But it's basically like Sketch, and like I said, in some ways a lot better, I'm missing a, maybe just one or two things. Uh, I don't know how long for this world it is, because it seems like it's part now of the. Um, I don't know what it is about screenshot apps getting um, acquired, but now this is like part of the cloud app, um, uh, enterprise. So I don't know how long it is for this world, but it's only 99 cents on the Mac app store. And, um, I think that's it. Maybe, maybe I, I might be looking at the wrong one. I might be looking at the iOS one. Uh, it's like, between 99 cents and four dollars and if you liked sketch and you're frustrated because it's gone to heck in the ten thirteen, check this out annotate i think it'll get you get you moving again
1: awesome well daniel thanks for coming on the show we're about out of time so want to thanks Um, give you thanks um but for everyone else we'll see you all next week that's good thanks for having me
0: bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn